Jerry. Excuse me? Hi, sorry I'm late. Who are you? I'm Donna Chen. What do you mean? I mean, I'm Donna Chang. You're Donna Chang? Did you think I was Chinese? Oh, no. What, you mean because of the Chang? But I don't want to be a secondary character. Hello. Hello. And welcome to this week's episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. We are a Seinfeld podcast from Australia, and every week we take a random episode of the greatest sitcom of all time, Seinfeld, and examine the secondary characters from it. And this week we're going to Season 6, Episode 4, The Chinese Woman. That's right, and my name is Ivan. And I'm your other host, Stephen. Uh, what did you think of this one, uh, Ivan? Uh, wasn't, it was funny in parts. <laughs> it, you know what, it kind of reminded me of the cigar store Indian from Season 5, you know, with Winona and her Native American culture. I found it really interesting how the table were kind of turned and it wasn't Donna Chang oh, it wasn't Jerry that was trying to reinforce the stereotypes about China and Chinese people it was rather Donna Chang doing it yeah I didn't think of that it's kind of a, a, a dynamic swap yeah a dynamic swap so unlike Jerry trying to you know make all the laughs about Winona it's actually Donna doing it to herself yeah I guess the only difference is that Jerry's not Chinese so he's not personally offended he's more confused than anything confused than anything else yeah but I guess when we do talk about Donna Chang I do have a theory about her okay I look forward to uh, exploring that. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com. We're on all forms of social media. You can say hello on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can listen to all of our previous episodes on whatever podcast app you choose. And uh, if you want to support us, uh, we'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review uh, and spreading the word. And uh, we do have a Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com forward slash bidwabask. Pledges are free on both of our tiers until June the 1st of 2020 due to the ongoing COVID-19 crisis. Uh, We thought we'd unlock all our bonus stuff for everyone or anyone who wants to sign up and uh, we want to thank our current patrons as of recording are Tim, Holly, Nikia, Jeff, Kelly, Greg and Neil Greg and Neil and Kelly only recently signed up so uh, thanks very much guys yeah no thank you it uh, does mean a lot if you want to become a patron just head over to the uh, Patreon account you'll see the details in the show notes and finally if you want to join our Facebook group Seinfeldisms uh, just type Seinfeldisms into Facebook uh, we are now officially the biggest Seinfeld group on Facebook which is amazing Mind-blowing. Yeah, how many people are there now? Like 55 large almost. Uh, Yeah, I think it's the high 54s as of recording. Oh, boy. Big. Massive. So well done. Yeah, no. it's. I keep saying the less I do, uh, well, the less we do now because uh, you recently joined on as a moderator. The less we do, the bigger it gets. It's like growing a beard. Indeed. So that is how unofficial Facebook group Seinfeldism. So be sure to jump on. Yes, indeed. Speaking of Seinfeldisms, every week we talk about any uh, situation in our life that uh, involves Seinfeld. Anything happened to you this last week? <sighs> Unfortunately not, mate. I keep saying because of this quarantine, nothing really Seinfeld related happens in my life. It's quite annoying. You kind of want to go out and sometimes I just want to go out and try and find something to do, you know, but uh, no, nothing, nothing comes up, which is quite upsetting considering there's so many Seinfeld references that relate to the real world. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, no, I'm the same. I, every so often when I think about Seinfeldisms or the lack of Seinfeldisms uh, lately, I, you know, if I'm in my home working or, or just sort of pottering around, I think surely there's something around me that I can vaguely relate to Seinfeld, but I'd rather have no Seinfeldisms than a real stretched one. I did go for a massive uh, bike ride today and I was definitely on the lookout for something that I could uh, use as a Seinfeldism, but unfortunately nothing for me this week. No bubble boys, no packets of junior mint, <laughs> no soup Nazis, nothing on your trail. No, I feel like bubble boys probably wouldn't be out riding their bikes. So even if they do exist, 
uh, I wouldn't be privy to them. <laughs> they'd be the first ones in quarantine anyway. Yeah, they'd be like, yeah, what's everyone complaining about? This is normal for us. <laughs> Indeed, I know. <laughs> and it is 2020, so we should call them bubble people, not bubble boys. Oh, of course. It so, can be male, female, or anything in between. That's in a bubble. That's right. Seinfeld News. Yes, what do you have, my friend? Just one piece of news this week. Uh, some sad news. So the actor uh, Gene Donarski, he played Izzy Mandelbaum Jr. Uh, in two episodes, The English Patient and The Blood. He unfortunately passed away. Uh, it was in late February, February 27 to be exact, but it was only reported this week. I'm not sure why the delay in reporting his death, uh, but a few media outlets posted up some tributes of him. And uh, yeah, he had quite a colourful career. He acted in uh, Seinfeld, obviously. Uh, he also had some pretty good roles in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The X-Files, um, and even All the President's Men. That's right. Yeah, he did die at 86 years old in LA. And uh, we have already spoken about Izzy Mandelbaum Jr., I think, in the English Patient episode that we did a while ago. So if you want to find out more about his character and what we think, go back and listen to that one. Yeah, that's right. So he, obviously, Izzy Mandelbaum Jr., is the son of the original Izzy uh, Mandelbaum, who was played by Lloyd Bridges, very famously. But both of them did an awesome uh, job, you know, playing the different generations of Izzy's. I can lift this television over my head. <laughs> you tell him, Pops. <laughs> you tell him, Pops. Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum. I'm sure he yeah. like, bridges are re reunited and they can relive their uh, encounters in Seinfeld. Yeah, wherever they are, I'm sure they're embodying uh, Izzy Mandelbaums and they're challenging, you know, other spirits or ghosts or whatever, whatever they're hanging out with uh, on the other side. You think you can lift this guard? I can lift this over my head. Oh, my back. Yeah, yeah the, the Mandelbaums are so arrogant that they would actually challenge God. <laughs> they would. <laughs> they're, trying, you know, they're trying, you know, make their uh, make their name more reputable by trying to beat God. You're not so tough, God. You're you created so the universe. <laughs> you so, so what? Can you lift this over your head? <laughs> That's right, Ned. They try and knock anyone down. Exactly. Ivan did mention before that we have done the English patient. Uh, we also have covered the blood way back uh, in our very early days. So if you want to hear a bit more about Izzy Mandelbaum Jr., go back and listen to that episode as well as the English patient. Back when we were young whippersnappers like Izzy Mandelbaum Jr. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now we're uh, Izzy Mandelbaum Sr. That's right. <laughs> we can't lift anything over our heads. That's right. This week we are doing The Chinese Woman, Season 6, Episode 4. We'll take a quick break and after we come back we'll go through the episode synopsis, a bit of trivia, and uh, we'll crack on to the main part, some secondary characters. Yeah. Hi, this is Zach. And Aaron from Seinfeld Law. And uh, you are listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. The Chinese Woman aired in the United States on October 13th, 1994, and it was season six of episode four of Seinfeld. Directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Peter Melman. Jerry gets a date with a woman, Donna Chang, she's played by Angela Dorman, who, due to a technical fault with the telephone lines, is getting all of George's calls. He thinks she's Chinese, but soon realises that's not the case. Elaine and Jerry see George's father, Frank, talking to a stranger looking man wearing a cape, played by Larry David. But it's Donna who gets the scoop when she speaks to George's mother. Elaine is having trouble talking to her friend Noreen, played by Kelly Caulfield Park, because Noreen's friend Paul won't stop chatting when she calls, so she's taken to just hanging up, something that has an effect on Elaine and Paul's relationship. Or Noreen and Paul's relationship, I should say. Kramer, meanwhile, is worried about his fertility, wondering if he's the last of the Kramer line because he's been wearing jockeys since he was young, rather than boxers. He goes to a clinic but is unnerved when the doctor, Dr. Corville, played by William Ute, tells him to stop wearing jockey shorts. And a couple of other secondary characters in this episode, Lucy Lin plays the hostess at the Chinese restaurant, and Jack Tracy plays the man with the cigarette at the same restaurant. Yeah, I secondhand smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> Why not? It doesn't have to pay for them. Yeah, even when he's waiting for a date, he gets a quip in there. 
He's always got to get a sarcastic little quip. Always something. That's just his life. That's right. Uh, trivia for the episode. I've only got a couple. First one that I've got uh, is that in this episode, uh, like you just said, Kramer decides to stop wearing briefs uh, in favor of jockeys. But you do see him wear briefs again in The Secretary, uh, which is about five or six episodes after this one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, episode nine of season six. Yeah. I, if we don't think that that's a continuity mistake, I'm going to guess that at some point between this episode and The Secretary, that Kramer realized that maybe I don't want to have a family and he just decided to go back to his briefs. His sperm count became, uh, you know, a non-issue for him. Yeah, non-existent, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have any trivia? Yeah, I have a couple. So the World Trade Center can be seen in the final scene of the episode with uh, the man in the cape and Noreen. Yeah, it's always weird when you see the World Trade Center in, in old movies or, you know, this this episode or wherever. Yeah. Sort of, um, it conjures up a lot of feelings. Yeah, it's quite jarring. I mean, it's quite sad as well. Really emotional when you see it. Yeah, I think because there was so, you know, I mean, the New York skyline is so iconic anyway, but the World Trade Centers, you know, were the most usually and the Empire State Building were probably the most noticeable buildings in the general skyline. So when they're there and then they're not there, it's just I mean, obviously, 9-11 is the, is, is the main reason why you feel feelings. But just visually, it's it's strange as well. It's just yeah, it's just a weird situation. Yeah, I could imagine, especially if you're from New York as well, it would be pretty, uh, pretty jarring to see that as well. For sure. In the episode, in the background, I don't know what part of the episode, but you can see a Coca-Cola sign and uh, both of the C's are actually painted over and it actually says Ola. and the idea was to have what's called a reverse pro- product placement. I don't know who decided that or why they decided that. Maybe it was just to avoid uh, an issue with Coca-Cola, but, uh, you know, a, a, a neat little tidbit. Yeah, maybe Coke wasn't sponsoring the show, so maybe just to get around it and also to add to the realism of Seinfeld using real-world brands as they use many times, they decided to, uh, yeah, maybe want to avoid a lawsuit or something, and so they thought, let's just do that. You think Coca-Cola, I mean, season six, Seinfeld was, you know, at its absolute peak of popularity and creativity. You think Coca-Cola would have been like, yeah, sweet, put us in. Like, I can't imagine any massive company having an issue with being uh, used in Seinfeld. I'm sure there's all these legal avenues and all these things, contracts you got to sign. Like, even though Coke, you know, Coke is a juggernaut in the corporate world um, I still think even though it was featured in Seinfeld if they wanted their brand I think they probably would have gone through all the legal channels anyway that's true yeah that's true do you have any other trivia uh, just one more uh, in the outtakes for this episode Larry David in one take he actually fell off the set in the final scene with Noreen but luckily he didn't injure himself he was balancing on a uh, look like a board or something like that and uh, yeah in one of the outtakes he actually falls off yeah, you can see when he comes over and grabs Donna and pulls her away, you can see them kind of shuffling along that edge, probably to avoid falling over again. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure there was like a mattress or something behind it. Yeah, bit of a dark ending, I must say. I mean, I know Jerry references it or mentions it to Elaine. You know, if you tell this woman to, to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, she will or something like that. But a very kind of dark ending, the fact that she is contemplating suicide and is about to jump. Yeah, that was really interesting. And also, as well, this is Noreen's second and last appearance on the show. But luckily, of course, she does survive. But yeah, I guess when we talk about her, we can probably see what was going through her head and try and analyze it. Yeah, yeah. I I guess I just mean, you know, not so much a dark turn. I mean, it was a dark turn for her character, but just such an unexpected final scene. Usually the last scenes are kind of lighthearted. Yeah, this one was quite dark. But I think it kind of wanted to parallel the idea that Larry's character was wearing a cape, much like Superman, probably to show that he was more than just a lawyer he was like batman or superman oh i didn't get that reference but that makes sense i'm thinking you know by day he's a lawyer and at night he's like a superhero well by day he's a superhero as well he he wears his cape nine day oh he does indeed but he does more uh superhero-y things more legal things in the superhero world that's true that's true all right let's do what we do best let's talk about some secondary characters why don't we start with the main one donna chang donna chang or donna chang steen as she used to be called um she's played by angela dorman she's known for the drew carey 
Show, Nash Bridges, and Star Trek Voyager. One thing I thought of, Steve, is just before, you know, when I watched the episode and before I did my notes, she is a, what they call a Sinophile or a Cinephile. Okay, so she loves Chinese culture and identifies with it, even though she's not part of it? Is, is that what you're getting at? I think so. Cinephile is a person who demonstrates a strong interest in Chinese people and their culture. I think that's basically it. Yeah, no, look, I think that's a pretty good take. Uh, she's obviously very uh, besotted with Chinese culture. I think she kind of, yeah, she uses her last name sort of just to leverage off that and to, to reinforce that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I don't know what, what happened. Like, do you think maybe she lived in China for a while or maybe she got involved in the Chinese community somehow and appreciated their culture? Like, what do you think started it? Yeah, I think her entry point to to Chinese culture was maybe, you know, I mean, in the 90s, China was still pretty closed off. I mean, you could still live there and, and visit there as a Westerner, but I think it would have been a lot harder to integrate into the culture so much that you would come back to your native city and country and sort of, you know, still live through it. I would say that maybe, you know, maybe she lived close to or worked maybe in Chinatown in New York or, you know, in, in a Chinatown in a city that she grew up with, uh, grew up in if she didn't grow up in New York. Because she's from um, or maybe she, Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if she's from New York... Uh, originally, maybe she maybe she spent a lot of time in Chinatown, or maybe she worked at a, at a company who had an office in Chinatown. Um, I think she obviously had some close connection with Chinese culture, but I would assume that it was outside of China. Yeah, I'd assume that with Changstein, that would be considered a Jewish name. Do you think maybe she has like an identity crisis of source? Maybe like an identity crisis of maybe she's ashamed of being Jewish or something, and she maybe decided to change her name. Yeah, look, she she's pretty confident and she's very uh, self assured. You know, she's happy to chat to strangers. She, you know, flirts with George or uh, sorry, Jerry almost immediately over the phone and agrees to go on a date with him. And she doesn't seem intimidated by the fact that he's, you know, a, a sort of a, a low to medium level celebrity because she's aware of who she is, uh, who he is, because she's seen him at a comedy club. So I think, yeah, on, on a very deep level, there is some identity issues but i think i think it's hard to perceive that unless you spend a lot of time with her because she you know she is quite confident she's she's self-assured she's very decisive she's happy to make or help you know two strangers over the phone make life decisions uh, i.e frank and estelle's divorce i mean that that requires a lot of i guess confidence to do that yeah and i think that kind of adds to what you were mentioning before about at the time china being considered like this exotic faraway land i think even estelle was attracted to the allure of the you know the west you know like the um the eastern or the east and stuff yeah i should say yeah the eastern ideals i think she even even then like you said you know it's really exotic and she was really attracted to it as well yeah yeah i mean the it is it is kind of racist in a way but the idea of i think it's called like orientalism of like the the stereotype of like you know sort of ancient eastern you know whether it's chinese or, or japanese or whatever any sort of like asian countries wisdom and their culture and i mean there is a lot of you know amazing philosophy and wisdom and and, and traditions and history that come out of those countries but it's sort of being a appropriated in a way by Western people. But Donna doesn't seem like the sort of person that is trying to do it in any sort of like malicious or tasteless way. I think she just I think she has a genuine appreciation for the culture, but it can come across as a bit uh, a bit transparent. Yeah, I think in the 90s, it certainly would have worked. I'm sure in the modern day, they probably if they release this episode today, they might maybe do some tweaks here and there. But I think it probably could work within the context. But yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. presented in the way it was back in 94. Now, I think that would probably rub people the wrong way. Yeah, I, I think one thing that they definitely couldn't get away with, even though it was obviously a joke, uh, was the ridiculous oh. and the rhymes across. Yeah. I think that 
would be that's probably the most blatantly offensive thing to uh you know probably chinese people and 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 uh you know and probably just the general public as well absolutely i mean look at china now it's basically like a western country yeah in some ways economically uh, maybe not maybe not politically (laughs) but um it is it is a lot more westernized in some ways than it used to be for sure Do, do you think you know after this incident even though jerry makes a joke of you know maybe you want to think about changing your name do you think that would have maybe make her reconsider how much she's sort of i don't want to say appropriate because i don't think she's appropriating the culture but how much she's sort of like living through the lens of chinese culture do you think maybe that would have make her take stock and dial it back a bit i think yeah she probably would have done a double take and thought oh geez maybe i've gone a bit too far i, I don't think she's probably figured out like all the dots that are being connected you know with like ridiculous and her acupuncture class she probably after some thought after speaking to jerry maybe she thought oh maybe i am being a bit too you know involved in the chinese community despite the fact i'm not chinese you know maybe i could you know tone it down a little bit or maybe rekindle with my family name and go back to Changstein. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a tricky one because I don't think you should always just be bound to your own traditional culture and, you know, appreciating other cultures is always really important for so many reasons, but maybe not just sort of being, I would say that she's almost a bit superficial about it. You know, there's a lot of surface level kind of choices that she's making. I think that she can be appreciative of Chinese culture and history and traditions without being so kind of on the sleeve about it. Yeah, I mean, you, you can certainly do acupuncture classes and all that, but I mean, with Ridiculous, do you think that was like a slip of the tongue or do you think she actually, you know, said it as if what, a, you know, some people in the West describe Chinese people as talking like? Do you think she did that deliberately or was that just slip of the tongue? Look, again, because I don't think that she's being malicious or tasteless uh, in, in, in an intentional way, I think it was probably just an accident. Again, going back to what I was saying about how she probably spent a lot of time in some way, you know, in, in Chinese culture in um, in New York, maybe maybe it was just one of those things. You know, sometimes when you pick up, you know, the way things are done by other people, like we're, we're all kind of sponges in a way. Maybe that had an influence and she just said it by accident. Maybe it just comes out occasionally. I don't really know. But I don't think she said it to be racist or, you know, in any sort of malicious way i just think it was yeah i just think it was a slip of the tongue yeah. so that was a bit that was a bit of a waffle i just couldn't figure out ultimately yeah just i don't think she's ill-intentioned i think she's a good person and i think she has a genuine appreciation but some of her choices and some of her the way she expresses herself come off as a bit uh, a bit kind of superficial and a bit uh, not superficial in like a shallow way but superficial in a i'm just going to pick and choose a random bunch of typically chinese things to sort of show my appreciation for the culture mm, indeed but yeah she certainly is a cinephile nonetheless yeah definitely definitely do you have anything else about donna no that's it mate awesome uh let's talk about the next secondary character noreen that's right this is her second appearance on seinfeld she appears in the previous season six episode the pledge drive that's the one with dan the high talker this is dan she's played by kelly caulfield park she was credited as kelly caulfield in the episode and uh, she's appeared in the films jerry Maguire, quiz show and scary movie and in the tv shows law and order persons of interest and how to get away with murder now Stephen, we have not done the pledge drivers yet that'll be one that we're going to do in the future but we have talked about her uh, relationship with dan the high talker in our what's the deal with the talkers episode uh, way back when so if you want to find out more about dan and a bit about his relationship with noreen in that episode be sure to jump in there but uh, i guess this is the first time we are speaking about her but we're talking about her in the second part of her appearing on the show yeah i can't really remember what she's like in the pledge drive i do remember you know the scenes with dan and, and the high talker 
um, you know, and how that sort of impacts their relationship. But I don't remember if she's as insecure in that episode as she is in this episode. She seems very unsure of herself. Uh, you know, she needs other people to make her decisions, you know, i.e. Kramer at the end. But yeah, it'll be interesting to, to sort of maybe, you know, maybe she was more confident and then over time she became less confident. Or maybe her breakup with Dan was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, maybe she'd been through a series of bad relationships or short-term relationships and it really just rattled her. Mm-hmm. Because I think with her, she like you said, she can't really think for herself and she kind of needs structure and guidance to get her through. I feel that Elaine and her go way back in time, maybe like friends in high school or elementary school or something, and they've grown up together. Because it seems like Elaine has kind of had the edge over Noreen and, you know, Elaine's kind of, whatever Elaine said, Noreen has decided to do it. Like, for example, going into the army and then going AWOL because she was bored. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that demonstrates a long-term relationship and a relationship where Elaine has always had the upper hand. She didn't, she's not striving to be, you know, the more dominant one, but I think maybe Elaine's success professionally and just Elaine's sort of brashness as a person has always been admired by Noreen and she looks up to Elaine. And I think that's why she puts a lot of stock uh, into what Elaine says that she should do, even if they're poor decisions. Yeah, I mean, Noreen is certainly the introvert. And I think I think Elaine is the extrovert in Noreen's life that tries to kind of get her out of her shell a little bit. But I don't feel like Elaine deliberately tries to manipulate her. I think Elaine <laughs> just gives her advice. And like you said, Noreen just, you know, she looks up to Elaine and probably just takes the advice literally. Yeah, no, I think, I think the dynamics in their relationship are just a byproduct of their personality differences. You know, you said that Noreen is far more introverted. Elaine is far more extroverted. If you have a close friendship in any situation or between any two people, one's an introvert, one's an extrovert, I think the natural dynamic is going to be the extrovert is going to be more influential than the introvert. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't think Elaine is trying to manipulate her or control her. It's just their relationship because of their personality differences. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, with regards to her getting pregnant, you know, because Kramer allegedly, you know, gets her pregnant because he says that she is late for her period. Do you think she actually got pregnant or was it a situation like in the fix up where, uh, you know, George's missus or George's girlfriend in the episode got pregnant? but then uh, she got a period again. No, I'm going to say that, I I mean, she obviously slept with Kramer, so there's always... A possibility that she uh, got pregnant, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say that she, you know, periods can be late um, if people are stressed, uh, stressed, you know, if they're going through like an emotionally trying time. You know, I'm gonna assume that she probably broke up with Paul, or at least their relationship was on the rocks, and Kramer coming in, everything was a bit uncertain, and that might have that stress and uncertainty might have forced a delay in her period. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so she, you don't think she was actually pregnant? Because I'm sure we probably hear no. about it in a later episode about Kramer having. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if she was genuinely pregnant with Kramer's kid, and I mean, it could have been Paul kid you know i mean they it's not like they were broken up so yeah i think i think kramer's just so so desperate to have a family and he's so worried about it because of his sperm count even a period that's one day late i think he's just misreading the situation and because he does mention in the episode that he is the last male kramer so i guess we can i guess it validates the fact that kramer's father's passed away yeah that's true that's true there's a lot of theories about kramer's dad one of those theories is related to his uh again theory of his uh personal wealth that maybe you know his father was wealthy or had like a healthy life insurance policy somehow you know had a lot of money and when uh he passed away he bequeathed it to Kramer. And because he's estranged from Babs, probably his ex-wife at the time, <laughs> he left her with nothing and gave it all to her, his only son, Cosmo. Yeah, I think that lines up with this. Uh, uh, th- this lines up with that theory pretty well, actually. How do you think he can afford an apartment to himself in Manhattan, you know, with no job? 
Yeah, but I have seen some other, this is a bit of a tangent, but I have seen some other theories that hold up pretty well in that if he lived in a rent-controlled apartment in the 80s and 90s, and, you know, maybe, actually, I think he mentions he lived there in the 70s. So, you know, if he's lived there for like 20 to 30 years and it's a rent-controlled apartment, because of his, you know, random little ventures, and he, he does come into money from time to time, and he doesn't live an expensive lifestyle that maybe he just survives enough, he just makes enough money to survive, mm by having these random injections of cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe there's like a policy, um, you know, in his father's insurance where he gets money out every month or every six months or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, all his all his like random, you know, because every episode, uh, sorry, every season there might be one or two episodes where one of his schemes actually pays off, mm, yeah. whether it's by accident or intentionally. And, and I feel like if you get enough cash, even if it's sporadic, like once every year or two, if you just keep it in the bank and use it to pay rent and live pretty low key, it's probably enough for him to just scrape by if he's not independently wealthy. I've always liked the independent wealthy theory more so than um, you know he just survives on the random cash injections he gets from his wacky schemes yeah like one thing that comes to mind is the subway you know he's meant to pay the fine of I think $600 when he goes to court but he goes to the betting agency and he wins 18 grand exactly I mean 18 grand if you put it in the bank and you just pay your rent and buy a bit of food you know that can last you a long time Um, and again if he lives in a rent controlled apartment and you know he's been a Calvin Klein model he's been all sorts of things and you know and there's probably a whole bunch of harebrained schemes that have happened either, either before the show started that might have given him a bunch of cash or happens off screen of course yeah but anyway <laughs> i guess we divert yeah. a little bit from noreen but going back going back to noreen um because kramer says that she will join the army for some structure from some qualified officers now we won't obviously i don't want to get into this too much obviously with the whole situation with mental health and that sort of thing but i mean with noreen what do you think was going through her mind in the final scene i think she just reached the end of her tether you know, she'd just come out of her previous relationship with Dan and then Paul's, you know, this relationship ended pretty quickly. And I think just the lack of direction in her life, you know, I've actually been in that situation where there's nothing, it's not one specific event. It just feels like every aspect of your life is completely out of control and it can cause you to become desperate and make choices that you wouldn't ordinarily make. So I don't think it was a genuine, I think it was more her trying it on, if that makes sense, where sometimes you need to act it out to really know if you want to do it so i think maybe she was just standing on the edge there thinking about do i really want to die or do i do i have something she was sort of searching for a reason to live i don't think it was a i don't think a decision was made i think she was just testing it out in a way yeah and, and then uh, larry david comes over to rescue her yeah because i think i think if she'd made her mind up and she was just getting up the guts to make the actual jump i think she would have pushed larry away larry came up and said you know i can help you and pulls her away and she's she's happy to sort of go along with him if she was determined i think she'd tell him to back off and threaten to jump yeah of course so she was just testing the waters and luckily uh the caped crusader saved her and uh she probably went on yeah. to go to the army and work there and maybe get some structure like kramer said and she probably became a more uh, disciplined person yeah look i i'm gonna go that maybe she took a bit of initiative herself i don't think that she did join the army because so many times kramer steps in to be sort of a, a mentor or someone to give advice especially to women who are struggling in some way and it never works out um so i'm gonna i'm gonna assume that the same thing happened here where kramer stepped in and he's like okay well this is what you're gonna do i think you should go back to the army i think you should do this and that and the other and maybe she considered it but after a little while when she didn't feel so bad i think she thought hang on why am i taking advice from kramer that's that's a terrible idea maybe she made a few changes in her life like maybe she just took a bit more initiative maybe she kind of cancelled her friendship with elaine because she realized that elaine is the source of a lot of her problems. I reckon this was like a real bottom for her and she realized that she needed to take a bit more responsibility 
responsibility for her own happiness and her own well-being. And she, you know, over time made choices that that created that situation for her. For sure. Good take. Yeah. Do you have anything else about Nori? No, that's it. But uh, I guess when we do do the pledge drive, we'll talk about her and her relationship with Dan a bit more. And um, yeah, I guess, yeah, that, that's the last we do see of her. Indeed. All right. Let's talk briefly about Paul. Even though he is an unseen character, we still do know quite a lot about him. Mm. He loves to pick up the phone and just talk shit. Yes. And he's described by Elaine as boring. Yeah. And as Jason and I didn't, uh, sorry, as Jerry, I uh, didn't pick it up uh, until my final watch of the episode before recording, he's referred to as the long talker. The long talker, that's right. Yes, he loves a long conversation. Yeah, have you ever had one of those people where, you know, they're they're nice people. It's like you don't have a reason to not have them in your life, but just the way they talk is just so long-winded and boring, but you like them enough to not say something? Yeah, yeah, I've had that in my life. Maybe maybe even I'm that person because I do waffle a bit. I was thinking maybe I'm that person to you. (laughs) Sometimes I do go on, you know, long conversations. I know you love your rants once. In a while, but uh, I've, I've become a lot less ranty, especially on this show. You have, yeah, <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah, I, I might, if politics comes up, I might, you know, I might say a brief sentence or two, but I definitely don't go off on my ranty tangents anymore as much. <laughs> I know you're listening back to some of the older episodes, I do remember some of those rants. <laughs> so good, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've oh well, you're uh, the long talker, you're the short talker, yeah, I'm the medium talker. Medium. No, I feel like you're, you're much better at saying things in a succinct way. I kind of, I'm a bit more waffle. I kind of, you know, I'm doing it right now. I take a little while to make my point. Well, you're getting better, which is good. Yeah, it's it's a slow, uh, it's a skill that's slow to learn. Yeah, I, I think Paul, I can imagine him to be, look, if we're just going down the boring path, I'm imagining him to be like a really kind of like lonery accountant or something. Just someone who is just really, really, really meek. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a suit, you know, he has glasses and he looks a bit dorky. Yeah, that's sort of what I imagined uh, when Elaine was describing him. The fact that he talks about the weather, but somehow he has that magical ability. And I've come across this in my life. You talk to someone who are just so boring, but they can just somehow hook you in. You know, Elaine Elaine pretends to be in traffic with the hairdryer blowing down the phone. And you see her trying to pull away from the phone call, but then it cuts to like 10 or 15 minutes later. And she's like, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So he just has he has this like uncanny ability to to draw people in, even though his conversations must be so boring. Yeah, I mean he draws them in, but he, but Elaine doesn't seem interested in anything he has to say. I mean, when some people draw you in and they're really intriguing, you really hang on every word. But I think with Elaine, she's just kind of there. But I think I don't know, maybe she just wants to be polite or something. I'm not sure. Maybe because she knows she he's Noreen's lover or partner, so maybe she kind of wants to respect him. That's true. I didn't think of that. Yeah, but I, I think Noreen did the right thing by if we're assuming that she they broke up i would assume that noreen ended up with paul yeah i think that would have been her taking part of her taking charge of her life going i'm not settling for someone who isn't exciting and interesting and dynamic and fun all the things that she would probably need yeah i'm gonna meet someone in the army and we're gonna go AWOL. yeah basically you know my next partner is going to be the opposite of paul they're not going to have any weird talking quirks they're not going to be a high talker or a long talker they're just going to be a talker a talker just a talker talker like us exactly do you have any other notes about any others uh just dr corville and a bit about the cape lawyer or the man in the cape uh dr corville he's uh, kramer's sperm doctor i suppose um played by william utay he's known for the film species and the tv show night court he's also appeared in over 600 episodes of days of our lives as another doctor dr wilhelm roll wow yeah so i think with him he's probably thinking that kramer you know i think kramer's like mid to late 30s and i think the doctor's probably not sure that kramer can have children based on his age and the fact that he wears jockeys so i think yeah he probably just you know like a normal doctor just tells it straight and probably says to 
to Kramer, look, you are wearing jockeys, but, you know, you're pushing 40 almost. Michael Richards was nearly 40 at the time, I think, or mid to late 30s. So maybe, you know, you're getting a bit past your prime. Yeah, I think he he's, he seems like a pretty no-nonsense straight down the line, but still someone who's kind. Uh, you know, he's not – some doctors are, are – you know, they're, they're to the point, but they come across as cold. I think he's still got a warmth about him, but he just says things in a frank way. I think he's got a speciality in fertility, um, especially male fertility or, or male sexual health, because I noticed uh, in his in his office there were a few charts up on the wall uh, linked to fertility, and I think there was a cross-section um, of maybe male genitalia or, or female. There was something sort of reproductive-y on the wall. I noticed so I think, I think, yeah, I think, but there was also something about vertebrae as well. So I think he's got, he might just be a GP, but I think he does have a special interest or he is uh, known to be more specialized in fertility and sexual health yeah for sure for sure maybe it's like a personal agenda for him maybe maybe he struggled to to um, have kids with his partner so he wants to help other men and and families and women uh, with their fertility so that they can have because that's you know that's that's the personal drive of a lot of people who work in certain jobs where they've struggled with something and they want to to, to help them get through that struggle they want to help other people so maybe that's maybe that's the case or, or maybe he knows other people other relatives or friends who went through the same situation and he's like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna do this yeah yeah i, I think in some way i think he's got some sort of personal connection to uh what he does i don't think it's just a job for him fair enough good take once again yes gotta have those good takes indeed what about the final secondary character for today my friend the man in the cape he is frank costanza's lawyer obviously this man needs no introduction you already know who he is he's played by larry david you've heard about him indeed. what he does i don't need to go through his credits um so yeah i mean this is one of the only few situations where larry david's actually on screen and he plays a character usually he's off screen or he might especially in the in the role of steinbrenner like obviously another actor plays steinbrenner or the back of him but uh, larry voices him but this is one of his only on-screen appearances on the show yeah you hear his voice a lot uh you know he voices he does a lot of voiceover work and a lot of like someone in the background off screen uh roles you know like the marine biologist where someone yells out to george like save the whale or something and i remember there's some there's like a movie preview for like an old sci-fi film it's in like an early episode heart attack like an old space film yeah 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 um you know and steinbrenner but it's weird that he chose this role for his only on-screen appearance. It's such a, I mean, it's a memorable role. Like a lawyer who wears a cape is a, you know, it's a pretty cool role in that it's weird, but I'm puzzled to know why he chose this one specifically. I feel that maybe many actors who wanted to be on Seinfeld, I think he probably would have had trouble trying to cast the role. Because obviously if you're an up-and-coming actor and, you know, there's a job opportunity for Seinfeld and you're like, oh shit, this could be my big break. But then you're known as like the lawyer in the cape and that could be your biggest role. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Larry would have probably thought or maybe the writers thought oh they'd probably be a bit, a bit of trouble trying to cast someone just for like you know two scenes so maybe larry thought you know what i'm just gonna jump in and do it okay so do you think maybe he was worried that it might typecast or kind of like people will just attribute an actor's like further roles back to this one of like oh you're the guy who played the man in the cape on seinfeld maybe. so to save that he jumped in he sort of volunteered yeah maybe or maybe he they had an okay. actor in mind and they pulled out for whatever reason and he jumped in as a last minute i'm not too sure I, mm. I i guess we'd have to listen to the dvd commentary in the episode and see what they got to say i'm sure larry or jerry might have something to say about that i'm not too sure about the history yeah. behind it but i'm sure there was something like that yeah i'm sure there was something yeah behind the scenes yeah for sure but you know whatever the reason i'm glad that he did because any any larry david is is good absolutely and especially with his most memorable role on the show on screen i mean 
obviously he's most memorable as Steinbrenner as the voice, but this is his biggest off-screen role, yeah. Oh, on screen, sorry. That's right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. If you want to hear us actually talk about Larry David's show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, on Patreon, we do a bonus podcast, Curbcast, where we talk through Curb Your Enthusiasm episode by episode. We have released, uh, we've just released the last episode of season one on our normal feed, but if you want to get access to, we're about halfway through season two, uh, you can have it, head over to the Patreon and sign up. That's right, for free until June 1st. And uh, we do have a What's the Deal with episode just on Larry David for this show as well. So go back, I think it's like our 90-something episode, 95 fifth or something so jump in and uh, yeah we, t- we do an episode just on Larry David and his many performances on the show yeah I think it's when we were starting to run very low on major secondary characters so we're like let's do Larry David that's, that's right let's talk about him let's devote 45 minutes to an hour just for him yeah which is wasn't enough time but uh, yeah go back and listen or sign up to the Patreon if you want more Larry goodness that's uh, all the secondary characters for this week's episode uh, let's take another quick break and when we come back we'll find out where the episode fits in all the episodes we reviewed so far and whether any of the Secondary characters appear in our top 20 of all time. You're not Chinese? No. I thought you were Chinese. From Long Island. Long Island? I thought I was getting advice from a Chinese woman. I'm sorry. Well, then that changes everything. Now, Stephen, out of 126 episodes that we have done so far on this show, where does the Chinese woman sit? Uh, it sits at number 102. 102. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so obviously yeah. not one of the more, not the most memorable Seinfeld episode. No, it just didn't really jump out at me. I did like Kramer's storyline. I did like the uh, the as usual heated uh, scenes between Frank and Estelle. That's always a highlight. Kramer's obviously got the classic line in this episode. I'm out there and loving every minute of it. Yes. That's, you know, probably his, one of his top 10 most quoted lines. That was a great Michael um, performance in this one, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And just just his sort of desperation when he comes in and hands Jerry the jockeys, that's classic as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to have to move. But most of it's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, now I'm going to have to just move. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he says it as a joke, you know that he's actually seriously considering it on some level. Because <laughs> his jockeys have dominated <laughs> his dining table. Yeah, because he's such a germaphobe. Yeah, but most of it's pretty forgettable as far as I'm concerned. It's like 20% good, 80% meh. What about you? Yeah, number 91 for me. So, yeah, a few funny moments, and I really enjoyed Michael Richards' performance in this one. But, uh, yeah, I I mean, uh, you're right. The the Chinese woman subplot in some ways kind of put me off a little bit, especially with ridiculous and stuff. I don't think that really translates too well in the modern era. Um, I did, you know, yeah, it's a bit on the nose. A bit on the nose. I did like the acupuncture class reference and and his her other references as well. But like I said, I found it really interesting where compared to the cigar store Indian, it's actually Donna. That's, you know, Donna that's bringing all this up rather than Jerry trying to bring all the stereotypes up. So I found that a really interesting contrast. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I didn't think of that, but that's a good point. I feel like as well, I think they could have elaborated on Larry David's character a bit more because he's so mysterious. You know, he's, he's in the very opening scene and I, I think they could have included him more. I, I think they could have added him to the subplot somehow or maybe if George, because George didn't really have a subplot in this episode. He just found out more about the divorce <laughs> more than anything. I think if maybe yeah, I mean, he's, he's, the man in the cape and found out more about him that could have been his his subplot yeah i think i think too much of him would have been no good but just just a couple more scenes just to sort of flesh him out a bit george's storyline in this episode was basically him just being worried about the fact that he has to visit his parents twice as much that's really it it was quite wasn't really much for him in this episode surprisingly no no any of the secondary characters appear in your top 20 unfortunately not my friend what about you no 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 uh, no one from this week i do have a new entry though from last week i'll go through my top five so uh joe from mango eric the clown from the fire which we did last week he is a brand new entry at number four uh the record store owner from the old man is number three frank 
stands as number two and tied for one. Number one is Alton Bennis and Jack Columbus. Very good. My top five secondary characters are uh, number five, Susan. Number four is Yev Kassim, the soup Nazi. Number three, Uncle Leo. Number two, Frank Costanza. And number one, the Larry David voiced George Steinbrenner. Nice. Anyway, that is another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, a.k.a. Bidwabask. Thank you so much for listening to us. It's really much appreciated. And uh, we understand that you're all we're all in it together with this COVID-19 situation and we're all holed up in our homes for now until this all blows over. So we do appreciate the fact that you are taking 45 minutes to an hour of your time every week listening to us and giving us feedback and getting in touch. We really do appreciate it a lot. Indeed, indeed. If you haven't gotten in touch with us and you want to, you can uh, find all of our social media details as well as our email address in the show notes. Uh, And if you want to listen to all of our previous episodes, just scroll back through your feed. Uh, We've been doing this for over three years now, so we've got plenty to, uh, to, you've got plenty to to listen to. We've got plenty more to talk about. Uh, And finally, uh, if you want to support us, you can head over to our Patreon. Again, all of the details are in the show notes and up until June 1st, our content is unlocked and you can join on Patreon for free. Um, After June 1st, though, if you decide to sign up, please know that you will be charged per month for whatever level of tier you sign up for. Indeed. My name is Ivan. And I'm Stephen. And next week we are doing The Junk Mail. That's right. A season eight episode, is it? Or nine? Oh, might be a later season episode, yeah. Yes. Uh, That's my pick. I can't remember much about The Junk Mail, so I'm uh, looking forward to doing it. As am I. Yeah, I don't really remember that one either, but uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to get back into it. Yep. Looking forward to that one. So until next week, take care, stay safe and uh, stay healthy and uh, we'll see you all then. Alrighty. Take care. Bye. Bye.